Good day, friends. Thank you tonight for joining us for the podcast, Wounded Hearts, Wounded Churches. Yep, Miss Deb is here. She visited us last year, had a large following doing her uh, times with us last year. And we're glad she's here again. She's a professional life coach. That is a profession now. And those coaches help in areas of life, uh, irritability, sensitivity, high stress, and many other areas, addiction, same, name a few. And of course, they help to uh, gain a more wellness and fulfillment life. And so we're just glad to have her here. So Deb, I want to say hello to you. And we're glad you're here. Deb, if someone wants to hire you for a life coach or find out more about it, what is your contact information? Um, I'm teaming up with Hope House. And um, I don't have the phone number memorized yet. Um, This is a new endeavor for me. But the email that you can reach me at is deb at hopehousehealing.com. All one word, hopehousehealing. Deb at hopehousehealing.com. Tell us about a life coach. What do they do? I know there is a need for it, no doubt about it. What do they do? Yeah, so a life coach is a peer mentor, and they help people achieve their desired goals. Uh, Life coaches may specialize in helping people with if they want to grow their business or um, get better at a sport or develop their talents or um, overcome personal challenges. And uh, I became a life coach several years ago when what I had, I realized that what I had been doing as a a peer mentor in 12-step fellowships that I belong to um, was a little bit more than just taking people through the 12 steps. It was also helping them apply those principles of the steps in their lives. And the time and energy that I was spending on that seemed a little bit more than than just typical sponsoring. So I started the process of separating out what I can offer for free as a sponsor and what um, I offer as a coach who is compensated for the study and the trainings and the time and energy that I put into those com- those coaching conversations. So my niche, if you will, is helping people develop more intimacy, closeness and connection with self, others and God. So for example, a person that may not be able to feel their emotions or be aware of what they're feeling, they may need some help and some techniques or some ideas of how they can better tune into what's coming up for them emotionally or um, connection with other people. They may have things they don't realize are blocking them like resentments and fears. Those are the two biggest ones of, uh, you know, keeping them from being more vulnerable and being able to share more deeply and connect with others in a way that is a lot more um, satisfying in life instead of having those surf for surface level conversations with people, even family members and loved ones. You know, a lot of times we may just, I've, I've seen so many examples of people just everybody on their own device and, and not really connecting with each other and, and connecting with God. And again, often resentment and fear are the two biggest reasons why people struggle to connect with God. My own personal journey, I used to experience God and religion up in my head. I would read about it in the Bible and I would 
um, pray in a way that was like sending an email. <laughs> you know, here's my list of demands and I expect this all to happen by next Tuesday kind of a thing. And now it's very different by applying the spiritual principles that I learned in recovery and that I help people in, in my coaching I've learned to have a more intimate relationship with the God of my experience and understanding, which includes a two-way conversation. And of course, it's different than communicating with humans, but I, I can experience um, the closeness and connection with God and, and guidance and healing that, that I didn't um, ever experience before. So um, I'm an independent contractor. I work with people of all genders who want to, mainly I started this work with people who want to recover from some form of sex addiction, porn addiction, or its consequences with spouses and partners of people that have suffered from sex addictive sexual behavior. But I am finishing a certification as a trauma recovery coach. So adding another layer of helping people with trauma recovery. And just to define trauma, trauma is any experience that a person, especially a child, finds to be overwhelming. So it's not necessarily the experience itself, but the overwhelm that a person experiences when something like that happens. And sometimes we can have an overwhelming experience or a series of overwhelming experiences, and it doesn't get processed all the way through. A person may not realize that that program is still running in the back of their mind. There, there's a part of the brain that thinks that's still happening. So when something happens today that triggers those feelings or those memories, even with me, I don't have access to those memories. It just triggers feelings. So somebody will say something and I will react way over the top. And it's that inner child that is remembering but isn't sharing with me the, the experiences of childhood. And so I have been learning how to calm down my nervous system and deal with the inner child and, and help those parts of me that are still struck, stuck in the trauma to, to realize that that's not still happening. I'm safe. I'm an adult. I have choices. And I'm, as I've been learning how to do this, I've started helping other people do that too. So that's kind of um, what my experience as a life coach is like. There's a lot of different kinds of life coaches, but that's, you know, I focus on intimacy and, and healing from trauma. And Deb, I'm, I'm degreed and licensed counselor retired, but in all my education, we were not taught about trauma. Trauma is real, isn't it? Yes. And, and there's a, a lot more. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, you go ahead, please. Go ahead. <laughs> there's a lot more understanding and research that that is current that wasn't known a few years ago. There's a lot of um, technology that has helped us understand better how the brain works. And there's a lot more information that's being shared about how these things from the past are affecting the current lives of people and what we can do. Traditional talk therapy is really great for certain things, right. but not for other things. Right. Like for me, if I don't have access to my memories, going into a therapist and having them ask me, how was my day or what am I feeling? Or can I go back into a memory? I don't have a lot to talk about. <laughs> so traditional talk therapy isn't helpful. I need a different modalities, things that focus on body, you know, like body sensations and, and listening to the, the trauma that's stored in the body or um, something that's called internal family systems, which is 
what they call parts work. So some people call it an inner child or inner children, the parts of me that are still stuck in the trauma. I'm learning how to dialogue with them. And I basically personify them and have a conversation with them. And that really helps me bring up what is keeping me from being fully in, in the world and in my body and, and connecting with other people and connecting with God. If someone is excited about becoming a life coach, what are the steps to do so? So there's not, um, a re- it's not a regulated profession. So certification is not required. A person can just start their own business as a life coach. If you have a passion for helping people, if you have experience with recovery from addiction, um, you could you could do that. You just start your own business. However, there are businesses that offer life coach training and certification. So one can just Google life coach training or life coach certification and see how many different things there are and see which fits what you want to offer. You know, for me, I am being trained with the International Association of Trauma Recovery Coaching, IAOTRC. And they are different than the other uh, life coaches, uh, coaching training associations. And there's another um, trauma recovering coaching association. They have their life coach paradigm and then they try to fit trauma in there. And this association does it the other direction. They teach everybody that wants to become a trauma recovery coach about trauma about the, the latest research and different modalities and different um, things that, that we need to know about. Uh, a life coach doesn't diagnose things or prescribe medicine or work through some of the, the deeper trauma like a therapist does. That That's really important to emphasize here, you know. Um, but it's a peer relationship. So a life coach can walk with a person. They can self-disclose a little bit more, share parts of my own story as it's appropriate. I can share things that I've learned. We call that psychoeducation. I can um, bring bring things to their attention. Oh, I noticed that you looked over there when you said that, or your body did this. You want to tell me a little bit more about what's going on? And just, you know, kind of mirror back and ask questions and help them understand better what's coming up for them and maybe offer some suggestions or some guidance. Um, And then if they have some big things that surface, then they can work with a therapist to do that. And, and I think the, we can help one another, can't we? Absolutely. We can help one another. All right. What other programs are you linked with? You mentioned one earlier in Alabama. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So hope house is um, focused on both therapy. There are therapists and coaches that are part of Hope House, and they also have an educational side, which means the therapists that, that work with people are licensed within the state that they have their license in. Some people can become licensed in more than one state, but they are limited. The therapist is limited to working with people within the state that they are licensed. And a coach is not limited to that. So I, I work with people from all over the world because uh, I'm not licensed. I'm certified, but not licensed. So um, with Hope House, each member of the group has their experiences and their specialties. And a person might 
call and say, hey, I would like to have some help with blah, 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 whether it's um, sex addiction recovery or if they are a spouse whose partner has betrayed them or they have anxiety issues or depression or other um, maybe mental illness. It kind of depends on what their focus is and, and which practitioner might best meet their needs. And um, I also want to mention that therapists take insurance and coaches usually don't. So that may be another factor. Coaches usually cost less than therapists. Right. right. That's true. But um, so true. there's, there's kind of different pros and cons, I guess, you know, and then 12 step recovery is free. 12 step is also peer based. It's, it's other people that are struggling with an addiction of some sort or compulsive behavior. It could be anything. There's, there's 12 steps for pretty much anything. If you just Google <laughs> 12 step or anonymous, there's, there's, you know, there's anonymous or what, I don't know, but, you know, and that's good. It's, it's helpful to hear other people who say me too, right. you know, I've struggled with that too. And right. here are the spiritual principles, which helped me stop, not only stop doing those behaviors, but also again, back to the intimacy, those compulsive behaviors for me and for a lot of people that I know, those compulsive behaviors were ways to stop feeling uncomfortable emotions mm -hmm. because I wasn't taught or trained how to recognize and express and deal with uncomfortable emotions. So I had all these compulsive behaviors, you know, food and money and other things that, that covered those up or distracted me from feeling those pesky emotions. And I had to learn how to cope with and process uncomfortable emotions and listening to other people say, here's what's working for me or me too. I, I'm so embarrassed. I, you know, did all these horrible things when I was in active addiction and, and, you know, I harmed a lot of people and, and now I'm not doing that anymore. Here's how I got to where my life is a lot better. You know, hearing the peers share their experience is really valuable. Friends, if you want to contact us tonight, our time is going away. We have a lot of calls at the end of the program, so call early. Uh, you can look us up on YouTube, type in Church of God in Macon, Georgia, and you'll see the live uh, banner there. Also, our number, if you wish to call, bottom of the screen, you can uh, chime in tonight. All right, so Deb, we have been talking about counseling and things of that nature. And I do see a definite shift going to more the peer group, which is important. And I worked in Savannah as a counselor for there uh, with the men there as a night manager or whatever it was, been years ago now. It was shifting toward the peer counseling. And of course, the 12 steps always comes up. Friends, we've been talking about forgiveness and the steps to forgiveness. Within the 12 steps, there are two steps that focus on forgiveness. I think three or four of them more do emphasize it, but these two steps definitely talk about it. We're going to ask Deb to talk about these steps, and I'll read them to boot up what they mean. Step eight says this, and let me say that we begun a 12-step meeting here about 20 years ago, and it's still going on, and the steps were begun basically 2,000 years ago from the Bible truths, but Bill W. in 1937 was able to categorize those steps. So talking about steps to forgiveness, going to have Deb talk about this step eight, which says the following, make a list of all persons we have harmed 
and become willing to make amends to them all. Wow, Deb, what a step. What do you think? I remember the first time I attended an open AA meeting and I heard the steps and, and, you know, as was just mentioned, I thought, oh, this isn't anything new. This is stuff I grew up hearing in church. You know, these are gospel principles. Um, They're just worded differently or presented in a different way, you know, but I was familiar with them. But then when I started working the steps myself and heard that I was going to have to own my stuff and make amends to people that I had harmed, that was frightening. (laughs) That was really uncomfortable. You know, that, that, that suggestion or proposition was, was really, really scary to me. But what happened over the process of working the steps was my heart changed and my vision changed. My, my understanding broadened and deepened. And I was able to look at ways that I had caused harm or damage to others or our relationships, my relationships with other people. I was able to look at that with less shame. You know, at the beginning of recovery, it meant something about me if I did X, Y, and Z or didn't do A, B, and C. But as I progressed through recovery, I started to look at my behavior as separate from or not meaning something about me as an individual. I could see it more objectively and with more compassion. So I had to start with forgiving myself. I had to be able to not judge and blame myself. I had to be able to accept God's forgiveness of me. God I believe, knows and understands why I did the things that I did. And even though I did some things that were sin or were harmful to myself and to others, um, I was able to repent. I was able to change and have my heart soften and, and not desire to do those things anymore. And given the strength and power with the access to the to the power of God to be able to do something different. And once I was in that place, then I could make a list of people that I had caused harm to determine whether or not it was their um, opinion that I had caused harm <laughs> or whether it was something that actually the, the spirit told me, yeah, you, you need to fix this. This is something that I have broken or, or um, caused some kind of rupture or damage that needs to be fixed somehow. And become willing to fix that. And I don't know if you're going to talk about the step that comes right after that. So I might pause here. (laughs) I've got about five questions within what you said. (laughs) This this step eight, it doesn't mention those who hurt me, but those who I offended. And so I'm to go with it with, it was my fault. And I want to try to mend that. And that's so, so important in forgiveness real forgiveness, isn't it? Yes. And it's one of the challenges with this is there's often somebody that I have caused harm to, but has also caused harm to me. Right. Right. And and the struggle is, well, how can I admit my stuff and ask them for forgiveness when they owe me? (laughs) Okay. Right there. Not be in a space where they can do that. So I have to really, be in a humble space to be able to own what I did and leave the rest in God's hands because that's not my job. My job is to focus on me and clean okay, myself. Deb, I got a question. Someone's <laughs> watching and saying, well, they should come to me first. Is that healthy? Is that beneficial? If you're trying to get forgiveness? 
You know, when I worked the rest of the steps to get to this point, it prepared me to see my part and focus on my stuff. At the beginning of recovery, I was not ready to do that. I was a victim. You know, I, I really had a hard time moving out of that victim mentality. But as I started to recognize, yeah, some things had caused me pain, had caused damage to me, had affected my life in a negative way. And a lot of my um, compulsive and addictive behaviors are the result of things that I experienced in childhood. Of course, I'm an addict. It just makes sense when I look and see the things that I've been through. So as I started to separate out what was done to me and then how I reacted or, or what drove me to do things that harmed others, I was able to separate that out a little bit. And by looking at my own stuff, it softened my heart towards people that had harmed me. And I'll give an example. Okay. Um, my father is a, is a wonderful person. My parents are wonderful people, but not all of my needs were met by my parents. They, you know, were human beings and they were good enough, as they say, good enough parents, but sometimes they weren't able to meet my emotional needs. And I carried a lot of anger towards my father for a long time because I didn't feel like he knew me or wanted to know me or could spend time or show me that he cared. And when I got to this step, I wanted to just write down everything that I was mad at my dad for, you know, and mm. up until then I had been preparing for that, you know, let it loose. And, you know, but when I went to actually write all that, there's nothing there. Only the things that I knew that I had done that I wanted to, to repair. Wow. Hold on. Okay. We got to stop you there. So what you're saying is at least part of what you're saying, if I feel that I've been victimized It'll, hard, it'll be hard for me to get forgiveness, won't it? Is victim is feeling that is like a shield against forgiveness? Yes, it's it's a way to imagine that I have power or control, although it doesn't sound like it at, at first glance. Hmm. The victim mentality is a way to have some semblance of power and control, and it often causes us to victimize others. So instead of being a victim, I'm a survivor. I own that things happen that had an impact and I have wounding. I have injuries, but I'm a survivor because God is healing me. I don't have to stay stuck in that space. I can disconnect from what things, ha the things that happened, what I meant, made them mean about me. And I can just see them as facts. When I reduce the amount of, of interpretation and emotions that are connected to those facts, I can see them with more objectivity. And then God can help me see things with a more um, honest and more loving point of view. The, uh, our time is just about gone. And so there's an energy in feeling victimized, isn't it? that I can hold this person or hold the situation and, 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 li and live on that plane. But there's no real forgiveness in that. No. And there's, there's sadness and danger there too, because I'm limiting myself when I'm stuck in that, in that space. That doesn't, by the way, that doesn't make what people did to me. Right. Right. You know, right, right, I, I need right, to own that. Right. Yeah. This really was bad and it had right, an, a bad right, impact on right, me, right. but holding on to that and carrying it with me only damages me. And true. I've had enough damage. I don't need to do true, that. True. <laughs> if you're talking to someone tonight who's been wounded, 
they've been hurt. So what you're saying is there is help if I've been wounded. Can God help the wounded person? Yes. Yes, he can. Yes, he can. And the principles that I learned in the 12 steps have helped a lot. And they're found other places too. It's not exclusively with the 12 steps, you know, for different people may need different presentations of these spiritual principles, but they include honesty, responsibility, humility, being able to have courage to recognize the truth about myself versus what distortions that I had being able to have uncomfortable conversations with people and own my stuff and, and not only ask their forgiveness, but make it right. The amend is, is uh, more than just saying, I'm sorry. Wait a minute. We've got to go, but 30 more seconds. So, I can say, Deb, will you forgive me? But I've got to also mend it up best I can. So it's a two-phase apparatus there. Yes. Wow. Friends, we've got a we are beyond time. Deb, can you please come back next week? I've only got half the questions in. And we want to talk about that forgiveness, but also making amends for that. And that'll right. give a, a, that excellent feeling of being forgiven. Wow. All right, friends, this is wounded hearts, wounded churches. And we're here every Thursday, seven o'clock. And if you've been hurt or wounded, you're not by yourself. We're reaching out to you each Thursday, let you know we love you. We want what's best for you. You've been devastated or hurt, but God can help. Deb's an example of that. She'd talk about next week what she's been through and how God has brought her through and others too. So Deb, thanks again. Mr. Neil, thanks again. Our staff, the Lord bless you. See you next week. Amen.